Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to the 99th episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am your Keyforge friend. My name is Alex, but I am known online as Scuzzy Gruen, and I'm joined this week by two of my Keyforge compadres, two of my companions in the Keyforge game of life. We've got Boulevard Blake. Hey, what's going on, man? Not too much. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, I had a, a nice day playing Keyforge with uh, one of my pals. <laughs> it was that person's <laughs> name happened to rhyme with uh, Daleks or or perhaps a, a snuzzy fluin. Um, it does, actually, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not. A little lunchtime Keyforge. <laughs> the classic. And, of course, the latest uh, entry into our band of misfit toys, we've got SC Steel. Hey, yo. Always a pleasure to have you on, Sydney. We are here today to talk about a topic that I have very little insight into, and I'm so excited to talk about it because it's a thing that I think both of you are going to be able to like really enlighten me about. Um, and I want to explain what I mean when I say it's it's a thing I have little insight into. We're here to talk today about analysis paralysis. And I don't know very much about analysis paralysis. And I don't mean to say that in a way where I brag, where I never get it. I never get analysis paralysis because I rarely think things through to the degree which I should for a competitive game like Keyforge. And so oftentimes when I'm playing with people, it seems like they're really thinking through their turn. My mind is off in a hundred different places. And when it comes to my turn, if I'm never sure what I'm going to do, I just sort of do it. And I don't think that hard about it. Uh, I just take the, the, the path of least resistance. But I am keen to hear what both of you have to say on this topic. Are you guys ready to hash it out? Heck yeah, yeah, totally. All right. So why don't we get things started with the absolute basics? Explain it to me like I'm five. When we talk about analysis paralysis, Sydney, what does that mean to you? When it happens to me, it's usually because I'm overthinking things to the point where I cannot actually make a decision. So I, I'm going through every single possible variable to try and get the right answer. And I don't do anything because I can't reach that right answer. So very literally, the, the analysis of your scenario means that you can't make a decision. Yep. Hence the name. What about you, Blake? What does analysis paralysis mean to you? Um, somewhat similar to Sydney. My my approach is a little bit different because I'm, I'm aware that I can put myself in that corner. So I try not to uh, think too much ahead of time and just kind of go for it. I'm, I'm notorious when I was in school to have a speech that day and not prepare whatsoever because I found the more I prepared and analyzed what I was going to say, the more I had a chance of freezing on stage. So I found just winging it sometimes worked best. Just off the dome? Yeah, it's kind of the way I've decided to go about it. Don't analyze too much. Just see it as it comes and go. Interesting, interesting. Because one of the things that I thought was super fascinating is this is a topic that Sydney threw out in our, our group chat where we discuss what we're going to talk about on the podcast this week. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that both Blake and Sydney uh, approached this kind of differently. Blake was talking a lot about ways in which it can manifest before you're even in a game. And I think Sydney's focus was very much on sort of the way that it manifests in game. And it sort of gave me this real perspective on the idea of it can be a very individual thing, but also it's a thing that can be very pervasive across all strategy uh, that goes into playing Keyforge. So why don't we talk a little bit about the way analysis paralysis can exist when you're not even in a game of Keyforge. Blake, this is kind of your area of specialty, I feel like. Yeah, um, and when I say specialty, it's more that I've come across it, but I am not one 
to do it much. But I find that when you're preparing for a big tournament, and I think this is where maybe Sydney can provide some insight, is uh, with the online scene, we have the privilege for most tournaments of having some awareness of what our opponent is going to be playing before the game even starts. And with that, that gives you a chance to look at what is there, what possibilities could be coming your way in terms of matchup. It gives you a chance to actually do an analysis of their deck before the game has even begun, which is not something you would standardly do in IRL Keyforge. Um, unless there's like a day two scenario at a tournament and you happen to know the opponent's deck because they played on stream and you have that sort of video footage to refer to. But um, what I'm thinking about it is you start going and you start playing and anticipating and you start doing matchups where uh, you go deck versus deck, your deck versus your opponent's deck. I know uh, my main man, Scrowner, he's uh, notorious for asking my help and says, hey, can you play this person's deck and help me practice? And I do it. And I've just find sometimes for myself that I don't like preparing that way. And I think some people do love that extra insight. Uh, I think Rick kind of does the same thing too. He'll play with his opponent's deck and get some insight in that way. But I find you get to a point where you maybe see something happen that could be discouraging or you see a pattern emerge. But unfortunately, in the game of Keyforge, a pattern may not mean anything when it comes down to the RNG of that single game you end up playing. So sometimes having that extra information and analyzing the outcomes of every game doesn't uh, behoove you to just uh, going for it and seeing the deck right when you sit down at the table, so to speak. You made an absolutely great point that being online actually expands the the reach of analysis paralysis. I've had the great privilege of a lot of friends that I've made while online have offered up their selection of decks as decks that I have the resource of borrowing or using in any of the tournaments that I'm playing in. The biggest problem with that is they will drop me a Decks of Keyforge link with 500 plus decks. And then once like <laughs> six or seven people are doing that, I I have to find ways to narrow down the field because I'm looking at upwards of 2000 decks be between what I'm going to pick for, for just a next tournament. There was um, one KFPL qualifier where we had to pick two decks and I narrowed down what decks I was going to pick solely because they already had verification images on decks of Keyforge. So that was that was my way of getting over the analysis paralysis. But one of the um, one of the points that you made also is looking at the the opponents' decks in the KFPL league right now with the triad going on. You actually get to know what three decks they're playing, and we've known this whole time during the league. And then you ha you get to practice. And so without practicing, I would absolutely be stuck staring at the deck statistics and the cards and the possible combos, trying to pick which deck to even ban. And then on top of that, you get to pick which deck you're going to play first in the matchup that you have. So there is a lot of analysis paralysis that you have to fight before playing in a tournament. Yeah, I actually find that interesting what you just said. Because for me, when um, I've been in, for example, the ABR League is a, is a great example. We talked about this uh, being a great introduction to Team Keyforge if you don't want to actually join a team but experience a team environment. The idea is you have the entire pool of all 10 players, 10 players, 7 players decks. Um, and or maybe it's 10 players. I can't remember. Anyways, the, the, whatever your team number is, you have access to all their decks and it's actually given and shared so you can pull on them at any time. And I find that in any situation, I'm very hesitant to use someone else's deck 
kind of because of what you were saying is going through them and analyzing them. Like in my own collection, even just looking at my top 20 decks I normally go to, I get that analysis process. I don't want someone <laughs> else's decks on top of it. So I find familiarity when it comes down to that ends up being the tiebreaker for me with a lot of those decisions. If I'm like, you know what? I know my time for this week to prepare or for whatever this tournament may be is limited. So I'm going to choose something that I know well and I understand rather than choose something new and have to go through that whole phase of discovery because I, I am very much a student of uh, 10 games and you have an idea and anything before that, you're just kind of getting a glimpse. Also there, another good point you just made, shortcuts. Shortcuts are absolutely the way to go. There are definitely ways that I can... I can manifest my analysis paralysis when I don't use shortcuts. So I know how uh, mm. last episode we we mentioned that you, you don't necessarily need hard artifact control or hard board control for a deck to be successful. But when I'm looking at over a thousand decks, if I just narrow it down and, and get rid of everything that has no artifact control, I've narrowed it down quite a bit. So mm -hmm. a lot of shortcuts will help get me past analysis paralysis when I'm picking between decks that's a really excellent point, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really happy to hear sort of us approaching it from that angle, because to me, it the entire idea of not knowing what to pick, okay, I never really thought about analysis paralysis in those terms before we started talking about it. Now it makes sense to me. I think oftentimes I just go with the path of least resistance um, with picking decks. All right, I know this one's good. I know this one's good. I know this one's good, so I'm just going to bring these, and whatever happens, happens is kind of my, my philosophy, but I could definitely see how when presented with unfamiliar options, it could suddenly become sort of this overwhelming idea of how do I how do I even pick from, as you said, Sydney, 2,000 decks or something <laughs> like that? What, what, what would the possible way of doing that be? But I think when many people think about the idea of analysis paralysis across all games, including Keyforge, they're thinking of a very strict and specific definition. And what that definition is, sitting there on your turn, thinking of every possible outcome to what you might do, or thinking about where you want to go, and then not being able to make a decision because you have too many factors on your mind. Like I said, this is not something that I struggle with a lot because I'm a path of least resistance guy. Whatever pops into my head is seeming like the right idea. I'll generally jump for it. But I'm very curious, Sydney, do you experience that and do you have ways of combating it? Absolutely. I actually, I feel really horrible when I go to uh, the Crucible Tracker after a, a really good game that I played and I end up seeing the disparity between the amount of time I took on my turn and the amount of time uh, my opponent may have taken on their turn. So um, if if you've ever played against me, thank you so much for being so patient with me. I um, It's definitely the, the opposite side of the coin for when your opponent is slow playing, they might just be sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do or if I do this, then that happens and this, then that happens. So it happens to me all the time. I know that um, Keyforge is definitely not chess where, you know, you have all open information and you're sitting there like deciding what will be the best move and what will eventually get me to the win. But sometimes it feels that way when you have multiple good options sitting in front of you and you have to think about what your opponent might have in their hand, multiplying the number of options that you have if you extend your thought process to the next turn and the next turn. So usually it's just so many paths that I can take that end up going through my head at any one time that causes me to take longer on my turn. Interesting. What about you, Blake? You ever have that experience? 
probably, <laughs> but it's not often. It's usually it's usually in moments of great trepidation due to the looming defeat ahead oh. of me and trying to figure my way <laughs> out of it. Uh, that's that's generally where it comes. Um, I think. I uh, know I had that today actually because I'm I joined the new Time Shapers League with uh, Scrowner, which is called Versatile. It's quite interesting because you have one deck that you each play, but one of you the whole tournament is playing Archon with that deck, and the other person is playing Reversal. So I'm the Reversal player, which means I'm always playing the opponent's deck, and they're always playing my deck. So it goes down to my understanding of my own deck and its strengths and weaknesses, and how I can use my opponent's deck to exploit that. And then my opponent just playing my deck, basically, or uh, my partner playing my deck. And I got to this point in the game where, like, my deck does something, and and the the person I was playing got it like real early, like right after they forge key one, put down the thing that was just like, if this gets out, the game is pretty much over. And then I was facing that, and I found a way that I could do it, but I literally did what you did, Alex, to start with, where I I made a play before fully thinking through and just went, you know, caution to the wind, here we go. And I should have stopped and analyzed then rather than making that first move because then afterwards I spent probably like five minutes calculating all the things <laughs> and realized I was one damage shy of what I actually needed. And if I actually took time to analyze first before just playing one card, thinking that card was unnecessary, I would have been able to actually analyze fully. But I got to that point where I'm analyzing back and forth between all the different decisions and there was a lot to be made and uh, I felt a little paralyzed because I was like, oh my goodness, I think I screwed up. And then you just sit there trying to figure out how you can go through it and you're analyzing to the point where what next? And I think there's also the post-game analysis when things like that happen as well, which Sydney mentioned going into the Crucible Tracker. I try to avoid post-game analysis because then I'll feel really <laughs> terrible about myself and my gameplay. But uh, I, I jest slightly. I do like learning lessons from mistakes I made, but oftentimes I find I internalize those uh, kind of instinctually. Like I know it's a mistake basically the moment I do it or shortly after I do it, and then I realize, okay, well, that's something I have to watch out for in the future. But I am sort of fascinated by the idea of going in and looking out later. So let's sort of break this down a little bit because I think – there's a lot of factors that go into analysis paralysis that make it like a really terrible thing to have to experience. One, there's the uncertainty factor. And I think that could probably shake your confidence as a player because you're looking at it and you're going, I don't know what the right decision is. And if I make the wrong decision, it could be so costly for me. And that could very much definitely be sort of, a, I think, a confidence shaker. Additionally, I think there is the pressure aspect of not wanting to be a discourteous player to your opponent um so you know sydney you, you were talking about looking at your your sort of how long your turns take versus how long your opponent's turns take and, you know i'm used to playing with very analytical players like blake um and i've been in lots of tournament scenarios where i felt like my opponent was taking way too long on their turn and was actually in fact getting to the point where it was starting to uh, like affect the integrity of the game like it was they were deliberately doing it to get under my skin perhaps and so one of the things that i think is interesting about this particular conundrum is the idea that there is both an internal and an external factor in the game that are impacting you and probably like your ability to play effectively. Um, do you have any ways of dealing with analysis paralysis when you feel like it might be irritating your opponent or perhaps getting under their skin? Is that something you even notice or think about? There are definitely things that I do when I think I'm taking too long. I, I feel it very fully when I know that I've taken longer than what would normally be considered a, a regular turn. And the first and foremost is just communicating in the, the 
TCO chat box. So I'll just type the word thinking or I'll make a funny jab at myself for the decision that I'm making. I'll just try and lighten the mood. But I know if I'm absolutely taking too long and cannot make this decision based on the knowledge that I have, I'm thankful that I can trust my gut. There are so many times where I decide to make a move because it's the first thing that I was going to do before I even thought about what the rest of my turn could hold. And that turns out to most of the time serve me well. Interesting. What about you, Blake? Um, I generally write, sorry, one message, next message, thinking, <laughs> next message. That's the, that's the extent of it. I, I don't do it very often. Like I feel pretty sure of myself when I do my turns. Um, I think the reason being is because I stream a lot. I spend time on stream always talking through my thought process when the opponent's going. Part of it is to make sure there's dialogue in the game, uh, in the stream, I mean. But it's it's provided me that when I'm playing without a stream where I need to speak, I still spend a lot of time on their turn thinking and actually anticipating what could happen and, and playing out the various scenarios. Okay, well, if this is still here, I'm going to do this. And it's just a way to keep my mind engaged. Uh, on the flip side, if I'm playing in real life, I actually don't do that. I sit actually quite calmly and just observe my opponent. And I think that's the better play is to not try and overthink in that moment and just chill. And that's something I, I've noticed that I think I'm missing from the COVID quarantine Keyforge that's been going on where I'm not getting to have that IRL play where I can just put my cards down and observe my opponent and not really think about what I'm doing because I think that in between turn while I'm streaming and stuff like that causes me to start overthinking. I do appreciate the analytical side that it provides, but I think it is not as good a habit as just kind of getting that Zen moment and just staying in the present of what your opponent That's is That's actually a really good point. I can count on one hand the times that my games have gone to time online. In person, it's a very different experience. So I know that when we are getting near time in person, I actually play faster and not because I'm making these decisions faster in the same informed way, but because I am so afraid of time happening that I will trust my gut much more and I will just play the first thing that comes to my head, something that I'm familiar with putting on the board and making happen in the way that looks the most efficient for that turn. So playing in real life really does change the stress level and the dynamic and especially the amount of time a game takes. Let me ask you both this. Mm. My theory would be that the more familiar you are with a deck, the less times you will experience the phenomenon of analysis paralysis. Do you think that that is a, I can see a counter argument for it immediately. Every matchup is different. Every game is different. And no matter how well you know your deck, you may not know what the best case scenario is, depending on what your opponent has on the board, what they potentially still have in their draw pile, what you know that they've discarded, etc. But do you think that deck familiarity is one of the keys to getting past analysis paralysis, perhaps? 100%. Absolutely. 
there are a handful of decks that I brought to a couple vault tours in person that I could play in my sleep. And that's one of the reasons that I was able to trust my gut so much. But I think one thing that has brought us to um, some really great online play is the crazy different formats and variants and the different restrictions we're putting on ourselves that make us play additional decks. So I am playing a sheer number of decks I will have never touched before, sometimes only a handful of times. In the uh, Coat League currently, I am playing, well, the, the SAS ladder has me play a different deck almost every week, if not every week. And so the amount of practice I'm getting in with a deck that week is is not nearly as much practice as I will have had in my KFPL decks that I'm playing consistently every week. Well, to that I have a kind of interesting theory because we don't have the privilege of really playing tournaments with mass mutation. And what I mean by that is we haven't had the IRL experience. The automation of TCO has always been in effect for mm -hmm. the most part. And now we're in a state of Keyforge and the way the game is expanding, where there are more decisions to be made every turn because of the effects that are present, both in a universal sense and sometimes just for you personally. And maybe that is something we're going to see where there is more analysis in the game now. Because if you look at Coda decks, that theory of, you know, board plus hand equals the best decision, I think has been diminished over time. It obviously still rings true for a lot, but I think with Worlds Collide and Mass Mutation, there are much more, um, like you need to analyze what's going to happen a little bit more before you make a move. You can't always go board plus hand. I feel like Alex today in our games, that was a prime example, is... I, I saw that the deck just had a lot of creatures and not a lot of ember generation. So I couldn't always play what was in my hand plus board. I was utilizing my board and playing one card a turn because I knew if I just kept playing cards from my hand, all I would end up with is a big board where that would not really be the case most of the time in Coda. So I feel like we've gotten to a stage in the game and the development of the game is progressing in a way where there is more decisions to be made. So therefore there's more analysis each time you're sitting down. So no matter how well you know a deck, that's going to help you reduce that time to analyze because you know when you see this combination of cards with decisions you want to make. But on the other side of the board, that is not always something you've seen every time. So you are having to analyze more often your opponent's move and what they have presented to you to respond to or that you want to ignore and have that sort of approach to execute your own game plan, which I don't think we saw as much in the mm -hmm. Coda era. I would agree with you on that. And if you look at vault tours and, and the tournaments we've been that you've played in the past is they have been dominated by Call of the Archons and Worlds Collide only, I think, recently started making more of that impact. But you still saw a dominance of Call of the Archons. And I'm very curious to see if that's going to reign true once we come out of the COVID restrictions and start playing freely. And we have two sets that have really not seen Vault Tours and what that's going to mean. I'm very curious You about are that. so right. I like that point. I didn't even think about playing this stuff in person is just going to continue to complicate the possibilities. Mm -hmm, indeed. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I oftentimes talk about with Keyforge is that when you get to know a deck really well, you can feel it pulling 
in certain ways. Decks want to do things. Some decks want to draw a lot of cards. Some decks want to dominate the board. Some decks want to play a lot of actions. Sometimes it's much more subtle interactions of cards that decks want to do. But the better you know a deck, the more you start to understand what it is that that deck pulls towards and where it is trying to make you go as a player. And I think one of the keys to conquering a problem like paralysis analysis has to lie in truly understanding the deck that you're playing, playing as many games as you can with it and really getting that understanding so that no matter what, you aren't working against what the deck wants to do. Or you can make an educated decision about doing something against what the deck wants to do. And sometimes maybe that's the that's the key to really unlocking the riddle of analysis paralysis. I have a question for you guys. Do you feel that Sealed versus Archon actually brings this out more in you? I don't really experience it that because, like I said, I just kind of always go with the path of least resistance. Whatever seems like the best move, I'll generally take it, and I can't pause for too long or else I get... My my brain doesn't really let me dwell too long if I don't know what the <laughs> answer is. It just wants to go forward, and, and that's probably a failing of mine as a player. Um, but... Honestly, with uh, with uh, sealed, my perspective on this, and I've made this joke so many times, but it's kind of true, is I don't care as much about losing in sealed, because to me, sealed is the ultimate excuse if you lose. I mean, if you you lost, it was because oh, I opened a dog car deck in sealed, or and if you win, it's like well, it's because I'm a great player. <laughs> but you know, it's it's the ultimate good excuse not to to get by, and that's lazy thinking on my part. But it means that I also don't like beat myself up too much about bad decisions at various points. So a trade off there. Uh, for me, I know that it's that my sealed play and in general, it goes with the set. But it's it's particularly true in sealed is that my analysis paralysis comes on with the familiarity I have with the set. So when a set first comes out, I'm going to have more analysis paralysis then let's say three months into the set being out because I will be familiar with the cards and understand how they interact and what I'm looking for and what I'm looking to do. But when a set first comes out, I'm like, I don't know what this combos with. I don't have that, you know, that pathway to power where I've seen this card in action with this other card in my hand. So I find that's when I get it and I'm unsure of what to do. My turns take longer. And I literally use that as a gauge for like me being familiar with the set and knowing is when I go to make plays, how often am I like, I don't know what I should be doing right now. And when I have that feeling, I'll know, okay, I still don't know this set that great. And once I don't have that feeling of lack of understanding of the moves I should be making, that's when I know I've started to truly master that set and really understand what it wants to do. You sneakily just uncovered why I am all about spoilers for an upcoming set, because the more I feel like I know going in, the less I will take in playing my first couple of games with the first couple of decks I open, knowing that I feel like I need to read every card. And if I if I recognize them from spoilers I've heard, then it might actually influence how long it takes me to play. Interesting, interesting mm. stuff. See, I have, I have a thought about that too, is because when I found that when you read a spoiler, and I know this from the past when we've done spoilers and stuff like that, is... You have the context of the cards by themselves and then the magic Christmas land of how they're going to combine together. But the truth is, I find that 
that means nothing until you actually start seeing decks and you start seeing the frequency in which cards actually show up together. Because once you start seeing that, you really get a scope. And I think that's why Worlds Collide Brobnar, <laughs> no one really was like, Brobnar is going to be trash because you didn't see how the things were going to start coming together. Like you saw the potential of, of really great possibilities, but then it turned out those cards rarely showed up with it. So you end up having just these commons that just were the way they were and it wasn't that great. And I think that's why people say if you want to see how good a house is, you're just looking at what the commons are because everything else is a bonus at that point. Totally. I like that way of thinking. This is, of course, a complex topic. We can only offer our own perspectives. But if you have some thoughts on it, we would love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter. But of course, we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the segment we like to call... Help from Future Self. Blake, do you have a Help from Future Self for us this week? I do indeed, sir. I do indeed. And um, it has to do with, I mentioned earlier, I was playing in that versatile league. And it was very interesting playing uh, a game where you know what's going to happen. And when it happens, you know the answers for it. And then they just don't come. And it was very disheartening to see that you're about to get steamrolled and that the thing you need to prevent it was not coming. And I don't, I, I would like, in my mind, I was like, oh, my opponent must know how to play my deck. Turns out, no, <laughs> because they didn't even realize that the deck lists of everyone was playing was public knowledge and they could have grabbed my deck and practice with it practice it like I did with theirs so uh, that was quite an interesting experience and I basically sat there and watched myself get rolled knowing what the answers were and my opponent was not providing me the opportunity to respond and the deck was not cycling in a way that allowed me to get there so it's kind of the lesson of of you see a storm coming but you just can't get out of the way sort of thing. <laughs> and the lesson I learned from it was that no matter how much sometimes you prepare for something, sometimes the outcome is beyond your reach and there's nothing you could have truly done. And I gave that story about how if I'd done the right move, I would have taken them off check. The part of the story I did not share was that they were at two keys and I was still on one. So even if they had been able to, if I had been able to take them off check, I still think the game was out of reach. And you get to these moments sometimes where, uh, you're fighting a losing battle and that just happens in any game where there is RNG and there is chance and sometimes even the most well-prepared plan can go awry. That is a good lesson to learn and it is a good lesson to internalize. Mm -hmm. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. If you have some thoughts about today's topic, please hit us up on over there. We would love to hear from you. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram, on The Crucible, and on Twitter. Uh, where can they find you, Sydney? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord. Excellent. And Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? Uh, you can find me on TCO under Boulevard Blake as well as on Twitter. That's the best place to have a conversation with me. And um, yeah, catch me on my streams every Tuesday as well as uh, my YouTube under Boulevard Blake where I'm always putting out different sort of unboxings and videos. And uh, I'm right now thinking about pivoting to doing something new, but still uh, percolating on what that may be. Excellent, excellent stuff. Come back next week for episode 100 of help from future self. I can't believe we're already there. It seems like just yesterday we were founding the podcast. It's going to be a big supersized episode. I'm really looking forward to it. But until then, stay forging.